Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Even if there is already an existing product, you can always make something better. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hi, I'm Jam. I'm a product manager for a startup called Grocery, and I'm based here in Manila, Philippines. So I'm fairly new to the Facebook community, but I've been listening to the podcast for a few months now. And yeah, I've been working in tech for four years. And when I think of what's gotten me through the day-to-day challenges that I've faced, a huge chunk of the credit goes to having a small group of women that I'm close to. Basically, people who I can confide in and they provide me with the support and advice that I need. And so for me, the podcast and the community are just extended versions of that. Women from all over the globe coming together and genuinely wanting other women to succeed. And to me, that's very, very inspiring. And it's become a source of reassurance for me that I do deserve to be in the room and a source of information of what I can do to build that same sort of culture of support in the companies that I work for and the communities that I'm a part of. To connect with me, you can follow me on Instagram at jampilarka or my email is jam.pilarka at gmail.com. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Yo, today was so exciting. A little quick personal spot for you. It's Sunday. I'm on my couch, like melting away, about to go grocery shopping for my mom. But today was so exciting for the Women in Tech Puma Collection. We had a get together of everyone who championed the Puma Collection, and I taught them about podcasting, and it was just so cool. We took a group photo, and it was just so cool to just experience everyone's energy. It's been amazing, and it really reminds me of how important it is to intentionally and actively see beyond the transaction. So I'm really big. You guys know I'm really big in customer experience and the experience in general. When I mean CB on the transaction is what are the community aspects that take place 
beyond the transaction. So not just delivering amazing customer experience, which could be like a product arriving quickly or like a service being delivered really, really well, but like what's a community aspect that could be incorporated? Because today doing that group call where we all got to meet one another and me empowering, you know, people in the community on how to podcast, it felt really special. Like it wasn't just a women in tech Puma hoodie or, you know, track jacket they were wearing, but it was an experience they were a part of. And now they're a group of people that can, you know, all support and elevate one another. I was just really proud. It was really, really cool. I feel very taxed right now. I'm like literally sinking into my couch, but it was just a really beautiful moment. So yeah, think about that. What is the community that you could build beyond the transaction? All right. Enjoy the next episode. the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest from Silicon Valley. Welcome, Elena. Hello. Hello. It's great to be here. This is a bonus episode because I'm welcoming you back because we just had you on a few weeks ago because you have a really, really cool go-to-market case study that you were going to share with us. You've been obsessing over this particular case study, and I asked if you'd come back and share us your learnings on this Mm go-to-market case study. So let's jump into it. First, to give everybody context, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and then let's get into what we're going to be expecting out of this case study. Yeah, I'm Helena Rodis, co-founder and CEO at All Factors. We do web marketing analytics for SaaS companies, and we fix a lot of the frustrations that companies, uh, marketers, and founders experience with Google Analytics. As a founder, I'm also doing the marketing. The best way to do marketing is actually learn from other companies in your sort of space industry that did it right. And that's why following playbooks is a very efficient strategy to do go-to-market and just understand what to do and, frankly, also what not to do. Walk us through what is, just for those of us who don't know, what is a playbook? I have like a YouTube playbook that I found so helpful, (laughs) but I don't want to make the assumption that everybody knows what a playbook is. Playbook, you can think of it almost like a blueprint. It's the step-by-step guide that tells you how to do things and how to do them in a specific order to get the right results. And walk us through what we're going to be learning in today's episode. So I'll be actually covering two playbooks, and we are going to learn how SaaS companies did go-to-market strategy and how they achieved remarkable results with their revenue in a short period of time. I love it. And for those of you who don't know what SaaS is, it's software as a service. So those iconic companies you see like Dropbox or Evernote, these are all SaaS companies selling software as a service. So go for it. Walk us through playbook number one. Yeah. I feel like I'm on a game show. Playbook (laughs) number one, open your door. (laughs) Just kidding. Yes. Playbook number one is Hotjar. Hotjar is heat mapping tool. Uh, it's in the um, sort of analytics space as well. Companies use Hotjar to understand how their users, how their customers view the web page based on like recordings of the mouse movements and scrolls and things like that. So it's called also heat maps. And it's quite 
interesting because the market for that product is quite saturated. So there are a lot of products doing exactly the same. They do heat maps. And so that's why it's pretty remarkable when Hotjar uh, went to market, did their go to market, they were able to achieve a million in ARR, annual recurring revenue, in their first year. Crazy. Yes, it's amazing because usually it takes companies sometimes even a few years to get to that number. And that's with funding. And Hotjar did it without external funding. They bootstrapped. They did put some of their money, but they did not raise anything from investors. And so the way they did it, their playbook was this. They created a flywheel, sort of um, a momentum in their pre-launch marketing. So as they were building the software, they uh, had a landing page where people can submit their email, join the invite list. And then when people would submit their email, they would see a referral share mechanism where if you share, you can skip the waiting list. So every time a new email was submitted, the person would see their position on the list. So say you submit your email, your position is 1,025. And if you want to jump to number one, you got to share with five people. And when those people join the list, then you jump to number one. And so that referral mechanism was part of their pre-launch marketing. So that's one thing, right? Having that ready. And then the second thing is driving traffic to their page so more people can submit their emails. And in order to drive traffic, they did spend on advertising. Now, the founders come with experience in advertising, which is a big factor because you got to know what you're doing with ads. But you can always learn or you can hire someone who knows what they're doing. I'm all about learning. You can find anything and everything you need online if only you spend some time on it. So Hadjar spent 10,000 euros, they are in Europe, on their pre-launch marketing to drive traffic. And that resulted in 60,000 emails. That was what ten thousand yeah. dollars resulted in sixty thousand ten thousand dollar marketing campaign resulted in sixty thousand emails. Yes. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that they spent ten grand on driving traffic, but also when the traffic was on the page, remember they had the sharing mechanism. Right. So every email, every person submitting their email amplified. Of course, usually the referral is something that not everyone actually shares. Not everyone right. takes that call to action, but some will. So even yeah. if 10% shares, that is great. Yeah. So yeah, uh, so that mechanism was important to the to the initial growth with the signups. Yeah. And what did they spend the $10,000 on? Which ads? Yeah. Like yeah. what kind of ads? Like, uh, yeah, where, where did the spend go? It was mostly Facebook ads. They had a lot of experience with Facebook as an ad platform. So most of it went on Facebook ads and some on Google. Did they have an internal person that had already understood the ecosystem of Facebook advertising or where did they find that yes. person? Yes, their CEO, his experience comes from the world of marketing and advertising. He that is a cheat. Things. That is cheating. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you, you can learn. It's not hard to learn. There are nuances about advertising on Facebook yeah. and Google as well. When you think about Google, there's Google search and Google display. 
And the game is really the same game on every platform. It's find your ideal customers. So even before you run ads, you got to do the exercise of understanding your ideal customer profile. It's also known as an acronym, ICP, Ideal Customer Profile. I've never even heard that, Ideal Customer Profile. Yeah, it's an acronym that you hear a lot when you do a lot of SaaS. And I'm like in love with SaaS. I like collect productivity tools. How have I never heard ICP? At some point you do hear about it. So here you go. That's when you you hear. This is my point. Exactly. (laughs) And so you usually will have a few ideal customer profiles. And it will be basically like uh, the demographic of the person, their job title, psychographics, like what they are into, where do they hang out online, what communities they're part of, things like that. And as soon as you have all of these details, you start understanding how to position your product in the mind of your customer. Uh, There's also the exercise of what stage of the user journey, customer journey, your, your prospect is. And usually the journey is It's like just a few stages. It's either they're not aware that they have a problem. And in that case, it's harder to target. Usually it's like just awareness campaigns are good for that, but they're very expensive. It's just like, I don't know, commercials on TV, Super Bowl commercials. That's like uh, campaigns where people don't even know they have a problem. And now they see this commercial and they think, oh, interesting. What you want to go for, you want to go for as a founder or a marketer, early stage startup marketer. You want to go for the problem-aware and solution-aware. Problem-aware mm-hmm. is, I know I have a problem. I don't know what the solution is quite yet. Right. And solution-aware is, okay, I have a problem. I know about the problem. I researched some solutions, and now I need to decide what to pick. And when you think about those stages, you think about, okay, how do I create an ad with the right words to yeah. target this type? of um, mindset. Now you already know your customer because you created that ideal customer profile. And now you just need to position your ad to the right mindset. Are they problem aware or are they solution aware? So that's how you go about it. And then after you do that, then you're ready to run your ad, do your, your text, you do your image and you post it on the right platform. You target, you use their tools to target the audience and you run it. And also A-B testing is super, super important. Uh, You don't want to just do one ad. You want to do like five, six, seven ads with slightly different versions of your copy of the text and the image and see what works best. And you literally put just a little bit budget on each ad. You put like maybe 10 bucks on each ad. You run it for a few days. You see which one gets the best result and you put money. You put more money onto the one that works the best. Once they got the 60,000 emails, then what? How did those emails convert into paying customers? Yes. So the next stage from there, they launched their private beta. So they would onboard the prospects that submitted their emails. They would start onboarding them. And that was their private beta. They ran that for nine months. And in the Hotjar case, it was free beta. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm not a huge advocate of free beta because it's good when the customer pays and they basically, you know, show with their monies. Yeah. That's good. Uh, It's even a stronger signal that your product has the right value for them. 
And so in that case, with Hotjar, for, uh, for nine months, they had their private beta. They had those users using the product. They gave feedback. Uh, the users gave feedback. And so it's very important to keep iterating on the product. So what Hotjar did well in that period of time, beyond the traction that they had with a lot of customers, is improving the product based on the feedback. So they had a very tight feedback loop where they sent frequent emails with updates. It was emails with collecting feedback, but also with updates when they had updates. And that way, those customers were very engaged and involved in the improvement process of the product, which creates that emotional connection with the customer, which also contributes to retention. Usually your product, obviously, will be the retaining mechanism. uh, But when the customer knows that you care about them and that you listen to them, it's very beneficial. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, the space for the industry, the the products, heat maps, there are many of them. So how do you choose between Hotjar and any other tool that does the same? You go for the one that really cares about you. I mean, we were talking about that before the interview that you can't replicate experience. I should say you can't just plagiarize experience or copy experience. Experience is something created innately at the core and is involved in the company culture and so many other different elements of the company. You can't just say, I'm going to be a heat map company and expect the same kind of connectivity with your customers. Exactly. Yeah. Customer service, customer support, caring about the customer. Quite frankly, it's a huge component. It's everything. Yeah. It's everything. Basecamp, favorite, favorite company (laughs) ever. Like shortest like response. To, oh God, the company culture of Basecamp is just. Do you use the product? Yeah, I've I've been a customer since. Oh, that's like amazing. forever and ever. That's awesome. Yeah, like grandfathered in customer. That's amazing. Do you use it <laughs> for uh, project management or for what? I use a few things, but Basecamp is our main communication tool that we use as a company. Oh, that's amazing. Like I don't have my team email me. I have them just campfire message me or like our base camp is our hub. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. That's amazing that you have that system. Okay. So yeah. Is there more to the playbook? Yeah. So let's continue. Yeah. 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 Let's continue. They had 60,000 emails, but not all of these converted. Obviously it's never going to be a hundred percent of conversions because some are spam. Some are not really the customer. So out of the 60, they had 18,000 convert into the beta as customers. And then once they were done with the nine months beta, they started charging. And in the following six months, they reached the 1 million ARR. That's crazy. <laughs> it's just crazy. That's how So they got to a million in six months, really. Well, that's how it lines up to one year. Yeah. Because without the prior nine months, there wouldn't be a million. Right. That's so all so of that cool. process, yeah, took them to one million because all of these nurtured 18,000 customers, a subset of them converted. And that's what caused the one million because... They already had the customers. They just had to turn on the payment system. Yeah. Sounds a lot like Rome. Rome is a really popular tech product right now. And as soon as they turned on payments, they made a ton of cash. Yeah. That's awesome. And it was free. Rome was free for a little while. Mm-hmm. And it, it's beta by invite only. And yeah, a whole thing. Here you go. So, so it's a similar playbook. 
So your second playbook you were mentioning. Yes. So the second playbook is an email marketing tool. And quite similarly, very saturated market. There are so many email marketing tools. And I love um, stories where the market is saturated because it just shows you that even if there is already an existing product, you can always make something better and mm-hmm. have success with it. So that one is called Flowdesk, F-L-O-D-E-S-K, Flowdesk. And uh, it's an email marketing tool, also bootstrapped company. The founders uh, are two business women. One does business development, the second one does design. Uh, so they came together and started that email marketing tool. And their unique insight was that they've seen small businesses, they worked with small businesses, and they found that there is a white space in the market for a better tool that has nicer design and like easier tools for small businesses and like better pricing structure. Created uh, Flowdesk, and the way they went about it, there's this notion of thinking about go-to-market from the perspective of it's either product-led or sales-led. Right. Product-led, it's going to be like a self-served customer experience. The uh, price will be lower and you will not going to have salespeople. It's just going to be sort of that experience that you have almost with uh, like consumer products where you just register and you hit the ground running with using it. Whereas sales-led is more like enterprise type of product where uh, the salesperson sells you the product and then more, it's more expensive, obviously. You need some training to use the product. So it's more friction, hand-holding type of experience. Flowdesk went one step earlier or prior and yeah. they did customer-led growth. That's how they call it. And that means that their customers from the beginning, basically told them what they want. They did a lot of customer discovery calls, interviews. Yeah. They, they basically told their customer their general idea. Yeah. And the customer said, okay, well, I would like this and that. Yeah. And they did a lot of those surveys, calls. Right. And through that, they developed the product. And so they call it customer-led. And they say that everything that they do is, is sort of customer-oriented. Now, what's interesting is that when they released the product, they created an affiliate program where when you share, and every link is trackable, so when you share, it credits your account, right? and you make money from that, and the um, person uh, gets like a free... Yeah, um, affiliate link. Free, yeah. Now, it, it's pretty interesting because usually with like B2B products, it's a little tougher because... Like if I'm a CMO, if I'm a marketer at a company, like I don't need you to pay me. I'm working for the company. Right. It will be a little strange if I get paid. If the company get paid, it's kind of also weird because what is it? The company doesn't need another stream of income. It has its main stream of income. So this works uniquely because it's small businesses. So a lot of those individuals who use the product, they're a uh, self-proprietor and they do benefit from that stream of income. And it's okay that it's it goes to their account because it's it's part of their personal business. Yeah. Sort of anyway. They're reducing business operations. Yeah, costs. Yeah, here yeah. you go. Yeah, exactly. So the affiliate program works very well. And they even created, they call it a success kit 
Flowdesk created the success kit. It's basically a PDF uh, that they send to their customers where they encourage them to use the affiliate link Mm -hmm. Um, And they tell them what's the best way to use it, what kind of messages to put out there with that success kit. It basically covers. It's like a guide for your way of making money through the affiliate program. And then um, the other fascinating thing is that every customer automatically gets the affiliate link embedded with every email they send because the tool is an email marketing tool, Right. right? So let's say I have a thousand people on my list. I'm using Flowdesk to send emails. I just sent an email to all of my thousand contacts. Every single one of them has the link on the bottom. So that's a huge, like almost viral type of mechanism to spread out the link, which is super smart. And uh, one of the things that Flowdesk say is that they had a lot of thought go into thinking how to make it super seamless for that link to exist there without the customer wanting to remove it because obviously yeah. there is the way to remove it. Yeah. But they made it so seamless, like a watermark that just feels very natural in the email. That So people aren't bothered by it. So their customers are not bothered yeah. by it and people. Yes, exactly. That's very smart. And that drove a lot of their growth, that affiliate program and the fact that they incorporated that program very well with their product and that they are educating their customers about how to use it. And so Flowdesk, their growth was even more remarkable. In their first year, they reached 4 million in in annual recurring revenue. Wow. Yes. Another fascinating thing about Flowdesk is I remember looking at Instagram And I was blown away by how many people share Flowdesk on Instagram. It was insane. I randomly came across it on Instagram. So another thing that they encourage is because their customers, all of their customers are actually women business owners. They share it. A lot of them have a lot of followers. They're like semi-influencers on Instagram. So they share it on Instagram. So their attraction on Instagram is amazing. It's like phenomenal. And I've seen Flowdesk. Flowdesk has really beautiful UI, really clean design. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not cheesy and hokey. It's very polished right. and posh. Yeah. Yes. One of their insights into yeah. the market that that type of design should exist for this type of product and should be available to small businesses. That's awesome. So, okay. So as we wrap it up, one, how can people connect with you? But what's your biggest takeaway from these two playbooks? Like if you could spoon feed us one action step that we should think about when we're building our companies that you've discovered, maybe two action steps, one inspired by each playbook, Mm -hmm. what would those action items be? Yes. One consistent element that you see across the playbooks is caring about the customer. And talking to your customer from day one. And that day one, meaning even before you have product, is when you thought about your idea, you want to validate it, and you want to understand what people will use, you go and talk to your people. And how do you know who are your people? You do that exercise of ideal customer profile. It repeats across every playbook, every company. So everyone absolutely needs to do that. Talk to your customers, understand who your customers are. The second thing is strategically think about what marketing strategies apply to your business. So with Flowdesk, email marketing, something 
can go into each email affiliate program. With Hotjar, even they did the affiliate program, but in their case, it was not getting paid for the affiliate. It was uh, rewarding the person who you send the email to. So uh, if the person signs up, they get a month free, but I also get something in return. So it's like rewarding. It's a win-win rewarding both parties. And again, it repeats across the playbooks, right? So it's definitely something to keep in mind because when you do customer acquisition, there's this term customer acquisition cost, right? Also known as CAC, an acronym, C-A-C. And your customer acquisition cost goes up when you spend on attracting customers. And usually you spend by running ads. But if you can have a mechanism where your customer shares and you get another customer for every customer you bring, that's virality, right? That's called uh, <laughs> growing growing with very low customer acquisition costs. So uh, that's another mechanism to keep in mind. And I know with business products, it's harder to create that mechanism. But hey, if, if Hotjar and Flowdesk can do it, then every entrepreneur should think about how they can do it too. And how can people connect with you? Connect with me uh, as always on Twitter and LinkedIn. Helena Ronis and both, you can find me. And also you can email me, um, Helena at allfactors.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast, sharing with us the playbooks of Hotjar and of Flowdesk to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world. Remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Womenintechvip.com takes you straight there. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hey, I'm Helena Ronis, co-founder and CEO at All Factors. We do web marketing analytics for SaaS companies. We're located in Santa Clara, California, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.